first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit MethodProducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Okay, so I'm Zachary Zane. I'm a freelance writer. Currently, I'm a contributing editor at Men's Health. Topics pertaining to sex, culture, lifestyle, and LGBTQ culture. And you're listening to the Playing Field podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Randy Boos, and I am the host of this podcast. This podcast, I speak to people who are LGBTQ and involved in sports. Um, I took the last few weeks off because I have a crazy work schedule working 60 hours a week. It is an essential project. I also, with the coronavirus and sports and just life stopping for most people, um, I just took some time off. So I'm back this week. Don Ennis has been cool and has encouraged us to think outside the box if we want. And so this week, my guest is Zachary Zane. Zachary Zane is a uh, writer for Men's Health Magazine, where he talks about sex. He is also a freelance writer where he writes for a lot of other publications. Washington Post, Huffington Post. Um, He's written for Playboy, so many others. Um, And we talk about some of these articles. I first found him a few years ago when he wrote about polyamory. And we talk about that article. He's a really cool dude. I hope you enjoy this episode. There is talk about sex, anal sex, um, masturbation, a lot of swearing. So um, I just want to give you that little warning. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Zachary. But without further ado, here is my fun chat with Zachary Zane. Welcome, Zachary, to my podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited um, to talk with you just because the stuff you write about. You're writing all over sexuality, and you are writing in different magazines, not just Men's Health, but a lot of stuff that we'll get to. Before we do, though, I, I just wanted to quickly, so people who don't know you, maybe hear a little bit more about you and who you are. Um, sure. I know you grew up in L.A. You live on the East Coast now. Mm-hmm. What made, what was that switch for you? What what was it like going from West Coast to East Coast? So I live in Los Angeles, born and raised till I was 18. And then I went to college uh, at Vassar College in upstate New York in Poughkeepsie. And yeah, I think because I kind of went away for college um, and necessarily like I had more of the college transition, less so than like going from East Coast to West Coast. And then after school, I actually thought I was going to get a PhD in clinical psychology so I moved to Boston. I worked at a Harvard Medical Center, a Mass General Hospital, doing smoking cessation research and counseling. So figuring out the best way to get people to quit smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to apply for my PhD. And I like took the GRE and my letters of rec. 
And then I kind of like had a little freak out. I was like, you know, for the seemingly altruistic profession, uh, these people are cutthroat, they're nasty, they'll steal your work, and I just don't want to be in academia. So then I, I started writing while I was at work because I, I feel like I had like too much free time and I didn't want to like conspicuously like uh, fuck around. Uh, am I allowed to curse? I should probably ask. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, like I said, no rules, whatever it, you want to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to conspicuously fuck around. Um, so it just kind of like looked like I was working uh, if I was like had a Word doc open. So I started writing articles, I actually wrote this like novel the way I feel like so many people do right when they graduate from college and <laughs> Jesus Christ, I, don't, I haven't looked at that in a while. But in order to get an agent, you had to start, you know, you had to publish, um, you had to have articles written for publications. So I wrote an article uh, kind of about bisexuality, and we can talk about that more a little bit later. But anyway, it went viral, and I just started writing from that. I started writing about bisexuality, polyamory, and LGBTQ culture. And at that point, I then moved to New York because there was no reason for me to be in Boston anymore. I have now lived in New York for coming up on three years this month. Yeah, okay, cool. Now, in that time, when did you start playing water polo? I mean, it's a sports podcast, and we'll talk sports briefly just because there's so much more I want to talk about. How did you get involved in water polo? Um, Los Angeles. Um, yeah, that's my school. So I kind of went to a Jewish day school. So we didn't have lacrosse and we didn't have football because both of those happened on Friday nights. Uh, so we had water polo. was kind of the big sport that you could play. And I'm 6'4". I'm a pretty big dude. And both my older brothers played it. So by the time I was kind of in seventh grade, I'd already started swimming in middle school uh, some of the eighth grades, so by the time I got to ninth grade, I was ready to play water polo. And, you know, I was by 10th grade, I was already starting on the senior team, um, on the varsity team. And I was captain both 11th and 12th grade, but I played set and hold set. Uh, cause I was again, a big dude, six, four, especially at a small private Jewish day school. I was probably the biggest guy there. So they put me in the center. Yeah. What was it about water polo that made it work out for schedule wise? Um, oh, they just don't have like the big games on like, cause Right, it's Friday night and Saturday football are kind of the big two schedules, but like water polo didn't really schedule around Friday night because we were a Jewish school. We couldn't have big games on Friday night. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, but I, I love water polo. It's such, I think for me, such an intense, fucking violent, uh, brutal sport uh, that was very kind of cathartic uh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously, we're under the COVID nineteen stuff right now, but you and you still play. I still play here. There's a big LGBT uh, team here. Um, I'm on like Team New York, but we just had the big. You know, every year it's this part of a huge international LGBTQ like a larger aquatics, and we had I think it was like 15 different countries come in for this huge tournament for Pride last year because uh, that was the World Pride was in New York. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, first of all, I, I think also being queer, like I think water polo is like the hottest sport uh, there is, you know, it's just all these men in Speedos, which is yeah. awesome. And I, I always just love how it's so funny because you have, let's say this may be like extremely kind of femme, stereotypically gay, kind of muscle queen outside the pool. And then they get in the pool and they'll beat the living fucking shit out of you. And I think I always kind of loved that. But it was so cool. We played, you know, all these teams from all these different countries. And it was epic. It was so much fun. But yeah, I haven't played in a couple months now. What was it like for you? And I'm sorry, I'm jumping around, but Please. Um, 
let's go to bisexuality. I'm, I'm bisexual myself. And so I know what it was like for me to 12 or 13. At the time I knew that I liked guys and girls. Um, but I, I grew up in 74 and, or I was born in 74 and I grew up in the eighties and nineties and it wasn't a thing. I mean, no one was talking about it. And, and you knew you were, that, that's actually, I feel like very rare, just kind of in terms of, I've spoken to a lot of people about bisexuality since I write about this a lot. I kind of had an advice column for a while. So I spoke to a lot of kind of young, confused bi men. I, I did not know. I, I was so confused. Because the thing is, I knew I loved women and really liked women. Mm-hmm. But I definitely was, you know, a, a, attracted to men in a way. But I, I just like, I, I just didn't get it. I, I just didn't think kind of the same way you did that bisexuality existed. And I just didn't think I was gay because I knew I'd loved women. And actually, I remember I had a psychiatrist when I was like 16. I spoke to him like, I think I might be gay. He goes, do you like women? I go, yes. He goes, and you're not gay. And the psychiatrist said, you know, bisexuality doesn't exist in men. And she just said that point blank. Um, And that was maybe uh, 12 years ago. I'm 28 now. Uh, So it was maybe 12, 13 years ago. And so I think... There was definitely a little bit probably more bisexuality I had while growing up. So I was born in 91, but still not like the generation now. And the reason why I struggled so much with coming out as bi is because I just genuinely did not know any, a single other openly bi man who did not come out as gay shortly after. So, you know, in college, a lot of people use that as a stepping stone. And that's the only kind of reference point I had for bisexuality. It's like, oh, I'm bi now, I'm gay. So I didn't think it existed. And so I would think I was straight and then I'd wake up like being like, well, I was also hooking up with guys throughout college. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I never had like penetrative sex until like senior year. And every time I did hook up with a guy, I definitely had some internalized homophobia or biphobia or confusion. I got like uh, fucking hammered. That was the only way I could do it. I'd be really, really drunk, especially in the beginning. And so you could always kind of justify it. Like, oh, I was just like, drunk and horny or I don't know what I was doing this guy was flirting with me he took advantage of me whatever it was you can kind of tell yourself these stories when you're super drunk you kind of have this very valid kind of sort of fake justification but what what really stuck with me I was talking to kind of my brother and I was like you know I'm experimenting blah 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 and my brother's like you know we all experiment or you know a lot of men experiment you kind of do it for a little bit but Zach I, I think you know, you've been experimenting for five years. I, I think this counts, like, at some point, I, I don't think you can just say you're experimenting. And that kind of resonated with me. And so actually, right when I moved to Boston, I, I looked up therapists and I found one was LGBTQ friendly. And kind of on the second session, I kind of go through my usual spiel of like, I'm confused and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know what I'm thinking. And like, I think I like men and women. I think I'm gay. I think I'm straight. And the therapist interrupts me. He goes, Zach, you know, I don't want to be super blunt, but I feel like you, or you're a man who respects bluntness. I'm like, I am. Thank you. Uh, he goes, I don't think you're confused. I, I think it's very clear you're bisexual. And I said to him, but, um, but that doesn't exist in men. And he replied to me, Zach, you're too smart to think that. I thought it was such an interesting thing, especially for him to say to me at 23, uh, right out of college. And kind of from that and from, you know, all of a sudden I started claiming the bi-label, although it took me time. At first I was like, oh, I'm only physically attracted to men, but not emotionally. I can never date a guy. 
And then that obviously, or not obviously, some people are just only physically attracted to men and not romantically attracted to men. To be both physically and romantically attracted to men the way I'm both physically and romantically attracted to women. And also non-binary people, I'm attracted to all genders. But yeah, so it kind of took some time and exploration and I started like dating guys. I just moved to Boston, no one I knew, no one, I had no friends there, I just moved there. No one knew me, so I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to go on a date with a guy. I don't have to tell anyone. If I don't like it, I don't like it. But I did, and I kept doing it. And then, yeah, I just started speaking more openly about being bisexual. And what happened from that is it's you'd be amazed how many other people are bi. I'm just like, oh, I'm bi. Never say it was like, oh, I actually, you know, date, sleep and date with uh, men and women too. And maybe they're not comfortable using the term bi label, but they definitely have bi, romantic, and physical attractions. And then you have other people who are just like, oh, no, I actually am bisexual. I just usually don't tell people that. So in me being more honest and open and embracing the label and talking to other people about it, I realized, oh, shit, there really are a ton of us. We just don't necessarily flaunt it or feel comfortable talking about it because often when we talk about it, people don't believe us or they want us to justify, you know, being bisexual. I think that's one of the most frustrating things and gay men still do this like oh well, when's the last time you slept with a woman when's the last time you dated a woman as if that you know they're trying to almost like trap me being like see you actually are gay or you're ostensibly gay is maybe a better way to put it and i'm like no dude like that's not a valid question b i fucked a girl last week but i don't want to even give into that you know i don't even want to say like I, that's not the point so oftentimes I just feel like people don't feel comfortable discussing it because they don't want to justify their bisexuality. They don't want to sleep talk about themselves. They don't want to have people to be like, oh, I identified as bi and now I'm gay and I don't know any bi people. It's like, good for you. I don't really care. So I feel like all too often people don't want to embrace the label. But when I started doing it and talking to other people who were doing it, I was like, yeah, it was awesome. It was just really awesome seeing how there's so many other bi people out there. And sorry, I'm starting to ramble, so I'll cut myself off here. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. I was listening. I enjoyed it. What about the labeling for, like, for me, I see it sort of as a generational thing. Like, I say bisexual still, but then, like, like I told you in the email, the term pansexual is probably more fitting for me. Yeah. But because of the generational, the time I grew up, bisexual is just what was normal. It's... Yeah, I mean, I like the word bisexual, and I think I'm on the cusp of that generation. But I'm bisexual, and I'm attracted to all genders. And I think there's this uh, incorrect perception right now that bisexual, for some reason, means you're only attracted to cisgender men and cisgender women. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, like, oh, the bi means two. And I'm like, well, if the bi means two, A, it would be men and women. So automatically, you're attracted to trans men and trans women because trans women are women and trans men are trans, you know what I mean? So uh, trans men are men. So I don't think there'd be, it'd be weird that bi would only mean cisgender and not include non-binary. So I use the word bisexual in the way, uh, kind of like, uh, Robin Oaks, who's kind of this modern day bisexual activist who kind of coined the new, like the way we describe bisexuality now, she goes, the, the bi stands for genders that are my own and genders that are not my own. But it's, it's kind of, there's this infighting I, often I see between the bi and pan community, and I've been told I'm transphobic for identifying as bisexual. And I'm like, what? Like, th- that's insane. Like, A, my, my, my partners are trans and non-binary, and the fact, I, I just find that insane that I've been called transphobic for just simply identifying as bisexual. And so if the younger generation is 
likes the word pansexual because, hey, it means all, it's very clear. I 100% support that. But I really think we just need to be on the same side and support each other. Also, in my experience, I know extremely few bi people who are like, oh, no, I'm actually, I'm bi and only attracted to cis men and cis women. Yeah, exactly. I feel like most bi people are like, yeah, of course, I'm bi and I'm attracted to all genders. So it's a weird thing to kind of put on people. But I think, yeah, the new generation kind of likes the word pan. I 100% support that. And I usually say I'm bi slash pan. I always say bi or queer. Or I'll say I'm bi and attracted to all genders. Just to kind of make that make that point known. Uh, but obviously all labels are valid. Whatever you feel most comfortable with. I just want to make sure there's no infighting between us and no judging between us. Yeah, totally. I want to talk about... I found out who you were by an article. You're obviously a freelance writer. In your intro, you mentioned men's health. You've done, what, Cosmo, Washington Post. I mean, so many. I've done Washington Post, Rolling Stone, GQ. I wrote a piece for NBC News, Slate. I was an editor at Out Magazine, The Advocate, Pride, uh, like all over the place. Yeah, so I mean, and before we really get into articles, because I think you have like, three or four that I really want to touch on. I want to find out what's it like to be a freelance writer? I think people have it in their mind that you basically get a, to screw off all day and, and do what you want. But what's it like to be a freelance writer to, to actually I, have to bust your ass and, and pitch articles and write and edit and all that. Uh, I wish it was, I, I feel like Carrie Bradshaw kind of fucked this up where it's like somehow she has like one column is on the side of a bus and has that fucking <laughs> apartment where it's just like, who, how, what? I'm like busting my ass here. Yeah, I mean, when I first started freelancing, you know, there, there was a year and a half of overlap where I was bartending while I was freelancing. I kind of did some of the freelance when I was still working at Boston at the hospital at the same time. And because as I said, I had extra, I was literally like doing my articles while I was supposed to be working at the hospital just because I had free time. So I was able to get a double kind of paycheck that way. And I saved money to move to New York. But especially in the beginning, it's super hard. You know, you have to constantly pitch out to different editors. And ideally, the goal is that they like working with you, that maybe they start assigning you pieces. Or what I often do is I have like two or three days where I have I'm working for a publication. So that's so that way you have a steady paycheck coming in. So right now, for example, I do three days at Men's Health where like I'm online from 8.45 and then I log off around 6. But I'm on the Slack channel. I'm doing news hits. Uh, I'm getting assigned pieces. I'm workshopping pieces. My editor's there. Like I'm on the computer consistently a part of the team those three days a week. Oh, okay. And, and then the other two, three days a week, I'm working on other articles at this point. But, you know, when I started like writing, I was getting like $50 an article at these places. And you'd spend so much time coming up with the pitch and working on the draft. And it was, it was impossible to make money. So you're, so you're constantly pitching and also like publications will just drop you kind of out of the blue because they can, they found someone else who will do it cheaper or they got someone who's doing it in staff. So it's, it's nerve wracking. And that's why um, I bartended for so long and I always know that I have that skill. Lord forbid, if I needed to kind of go back to it, I can go to a bar and work there while also freelance writing. Luckily, I've kind of made a name. I've been doing this now for five years. I've been a freelance writer for five years. So I have editors of who I work with. I have pieces I can reach. I have, yeah, editors who I work with. I have consistent work. 
and I'm very lucky now, but it took me a while to get to this point. And, and you're just constantly working. That's the thing. Like I work at night for men's health during the day, but then I also have to write a piece for, let's say Rolling Stone that's due in two days. Well, I got to write that in the evening now, you know, like there's, you just don't really get to make your own schedule. Well, yeah, because then you also are interviewing people for for articles and stuff like that as well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm interviewing people, uh, transcribing things, still coming up with pitches, still working with editors. Like, and of course, the way it will work was, you know, there'll be two weeks where I'm pitching out to everyone, and like editors just aren't getting back to you. You know, they're busy, they're not looking, so I keep pitching out more and more. Two weeks, I'm not making money. Then every single editor I pitched at 10 different publications will come back and be like, yes, sorry, it took me a while to get back to you. I love it. Uh, get this back to me in three days. And then I'll be like, shit, like, like that's what I wanted all these things, but like, I just didn't expect it to happen that way. So it's just really, you have to be flexible. There'll be times you don't work. There'll be times you do. There'll be times you work all nighters just by the way it worked out. But I love it. You know, I really do love that as opposed to a solid nine to six, because there is, a even though there is somehow ironically still a little bit more freedoms too that you can do with it. Um, and you also have your eggs in kind of multiple baskets as opposed to one publication. Mm-hmm. Is the, What's the difference between writing for a traditional like straight publication, you know, like Washington Post versus writing for someone who is LGBTQ and it's mainly queer content? I, I think, I mean, the main difference is you can just kind of be a little bit more uh, niche when, when you do an LGBTQ piece, you can really kind of look maybe into the nitty gritty of, let's say, grinder, app, femme phobia, fat shaming culture, and a really more specific piece, as opposed to at straighter publications, you often end up doing more basic 101 type pieces, introductory type pieces. You can't do these in-depth queer pieces that require a certain level of queer education, you know, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. A couple days ago, when I started, we scheduled this and we were going to talk, I searched you on Apple Podcasts and I listened to a couple podcasts. And it was interesting to see you change how you speak subtly on who you were talking with and oh what the podcast God. was. I, I'm sure I did do that. Who, which podcast did you listen to? There's the one that's I Love and it was I Love Dick. Was oh, the episode, I think. I was on a podcast called I Love Dick. I it's it's I love or something like that. I don't subscribe, it just popped up and I have no idea what that is. I do love dick, but I have genuinely no idea what that is. That's hilarious. But what do you remember what the topic of conversation was? Oh, it's is our love. It's with uh Lola and Oh! Oh my god, yes, he's Lola Jean and fuck, what's his name? Steven. Steven. Or Stefan. Oh, uh, that, oh, that's funny. Because Lola's this pro-dom. She's queer, too. And I think I, I, I know her. I know her. We're uh, friendly. So what was the way I was speaking with that? I, well, but that, was, that was more, and for people who don't, I mean, I go listen to it. It was a fun interview. I mean, you're pretty open and honest, and I love that about you. But that was more normal. I think the guys, he said he was straight quite a few times. But oh. then there was also... Uh, what was the other one? Oh, the lovers' lounge. Oh, and that was was I was recently. that was, and that and that was more of it was almost more edu- educational. At least yeah. that's that's how I got it. Yeah. Well, the questions she were asking, she was asking, was very one hundred and one. Just like what it was like, what is bisexuality? Yeah, because her audience 
You know, I do have to speak, yeah, it's kind of the same way in terms of writing for, and that's what you were kind of saying, writing for queer publications versus not. If I'm speaking to a straighter audience, I want to make sure that they understand exactly what I'm saying, and I want to kind of run them through everything versus with queer audiences, I can, yeah, go a little bit more in depth and assume they have a level of knowledge, for sure. Yeah, because I think, which, I, and I want to talk about men's health a little bit too, but you have an article, I thought it was on men's health, it might not be, um, apologize for not knowing for sure, but about um, anal play, for example. Yeah, I just had one recently that was just literally how to bottom. Yeah, and you obviously talked about your girlfriend more at the time who taught you and all that stuff. It was a great article, but I it, it made me wonder if it was for a queer magazine, if it would be totally different. I think, I know, I still try to kind of bring up my bisexuality everywhere. So even in Out Magazine, I still probably would have said, you know, I, I did learn how to bottom via a girlfriend who was super into pegging and anal play on dudes. And she was kind of the one who taught me. So that really is an atypical experience, but that is what happened. So I wouldn't lie about that. And now, obviously, I get fucked by infinitely more dicks than I do uh pegged i still get pegged but obviously that's like happens just less you know it's not as mm -hmm. common a practice but i think you know with men's health i i talk a lot about anal play and i really want to destigmatize it and make it seem like oh this is not gay you know you have a prostate this is something that you get pleasure from when people stimulate it so yeah that is something like when i'm writing you know a piece about anal play for let's say men's health, I, I probably would bring up a little bit more delicately, just knowing that there is a straighter audience, just kind of walking them through it and making sure like really re-emphasizing, hey, you're not gay if you're into anal play, it just means you prioritize pleasure and here are safe ways to do it. Versus if I was writing a piece for LGBT publication, I'm like, yeah, let's get fucked in the ass, this is gay shit, you know, <laughs> like that's some fucking fun. Yeah, like definitely, for sure. So I definitely, it's not that I'm changing the message, but I just want to make sure that uh, everyone is getting the most out of what they're reading. And then, so I really do try to cater them in that way. Yeah, and I love it. I love how men's health really is now. Growing up, going back to my own personal history, um, when I was about 12 or 13, I knew I liked guys and girls. There was three type of fitness magazines. There was like a muscle fitness, which was just pure muscle uh, weightlifting. Men's health was around and it was, you know... The same sort of stuff. I think Ask Jimmy was still a, a segment or a deal back then, the bartender. And then there was also Exercise for Men's Only, which is the one I sort of gravitated towards because it had, you know, the the scantily clad guy in the back. And I knew who their clientele was. But so for, for me to see Men's Health now be able to include bisexuality and, and stuff like that, I think it's really cool. It's, I love it, you know. Um, and I was just so about... A year ago, actually, I just started writing just kind of one-off pieces for men's health and these features, and I was pitching them kind of queer pieces, and they were accepting it. Uh, they were accepting kind of the content that I was writing. They were definitely, you know, bisexual-related. I think I spoke about pegging a lot in the beginning. Maybe I did some sex toy reviews. I don't exactly remember, but I definitely was. Or, or spoke about sex parties I went to, but I was not hiding the fact that I was queer, and I was discussing my story. And they really responded well to that. And then after maybe doing these maybe five or six pieces, these features, the editor was like, hey, you know, we, if you want to come on more like part time, 
you know, th two, three days a week, we'd love to have you. And I was like, oh my God, that's actually amazing. And that's kind of, as I said, like the goal as a freelancer to have one gig that you know is consistent, that you're getting paid two, three days a week for, that you always have that checks coming in. So I didn't have that. So I was like, yes, this is amazing. This is men's health. And they've really, you know, I can't, I do not speak on behalf of men's health at all. Oh, of I'm course. I'm a full-time, you know, employee there at all. But I, I do love the fact that they've encouraged me and really allowed me to write these queer pieces for them. And I wrote a piece about like, let me Google exactly what it was called, but it was just kind of like tips if you're exploring your bisexuality or a little bi-curious. And just, yeah, spoke to a, I believe I spoke to a therapist, a therapist or a social psychologist about, you know, some tips if you're kind of interested in exploring your sexuality in a healthy way. And I love that. I, I love that they're accepting of that. I love that they encourage me to do that. I love that they're being so much more inclusive in the language, how it's not necessarily now as focused on men and female, but they use, you know, terms like partners and try to be less gender specific. And I love that. I, I think that's kind of where the future is going. And especially now as LGBTQ, specific LGBTQ, LGBTQ publications are struggling so, so much and dying, especially, you know, it was the beginning of this year, but like Into shut down and Out and The Advocate and Pride, all Pride Media had that whole fiasco where Philip oh, yeah. left and that was just a shit show right there. And then it was an Autostraddle or SheWired. There were other LGBTQ publications that were just really struggling. And I think right now we don't have that same kind of powerhouse like if you're like an lgbtq person i don't know like do you do you go to out every day the way you used to do you go to the advocate what's your site i think you're just kind of using facebook or twitter so you don't yes. necessarily have these specific sites but some straight publications obviously not all are at least stepping up a little bit and obviously as i said it can never be as niche and I can't do a 301 anal creaming piece and you know men's health or whatever the fuck <laughs> but like I do like the fact that we're just seeing more queer um content and more mainstream publications yeah actually because of seeing what they've done and how they've included you I've actually subscribed this week for the first oh, time in a long time oh. just because of what they're including now it more fitting for me like, I also, I don't know if you've seen, like, Playbo uh, Playboy, who have been, like, fucking killing it in terms of their queer content, even in their publications. And, you know, they had, like, I'm a Roxanne Gay wrote a piece, I think it was, not this issue, but, like, they are being just so queer inclusive in the articles that they are writing, and it is so awesome. And it's, like, you think, like, Playboy, you're like, oh, what is this misogynistic, sexist, you know, drab? That's uh, so for straight men, but that's really not what the articles are at all anymore. And that was just such a cool thing to kind of see. That's crazy. Yeah, I haven't checked out Playboy in a long time. We are going to take a quick break. I'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to the podcast. Zachary and I will now be talking about some of the articles he's written, and you get a better idea of what he does and what he writes about and where his passions are. Um, so check it out. Let me get to some articles because I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. So like I mentioned briefly, I think already in, in the email I did, the first article I, I read from you was your polyamory article where you were involved in the thruple. Um, yeah. 
And interestingly enough, in one of the podcasts I listened to this week, you talk, I think you talk about it in one of the podcasts, and you mentioned how your mom and dad, who totally accepted your bisexuality, actually had an issue with the polyamory when you came out. It, it was, yeah, an issue, um, a mild issue. I mean, yeah, I, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, it wasn't like they were throwing me out. I never want to make it seem, I'm so lucky to come from accepting an open family and I never want to make it seem like I experienced that struggle or co-opting someone else's story. Um, well, and like, and like you said in the podcast, and I hope, I hope you'll say now, but it wasn't that she was against it for what you might expect. It was because yeah. she didn't want people to be left out or and stuff. Yeah. So it was totally a loving thing. It was, I think she was worried. So I, I'll kind of explain the dynamic a little bit. So I lived with my boyfriend, uh, his wife, he'd been married for about 10 years. And then his wife had a boyfriend and a girlfriend as well. But I lived with my boyfriend and then his wife and his wife's girlfriend. And so there was four of us in this um, apartment. When I started dating him, I think my mom was very worried that, like, Zach, you're always going to be secondary to uh, his wife. You know, like, if she gets a job somewhere else, he's got to move out there. You're stuck here alone crying. You'll never be on the same page and you should never come second. And that was a valid concern. And then I'm like, I think I need you to meet Jason. That was his name. I'm like, I want you to meet Jason. And I feel like this will put, you won't be worried anymore. She met Jason. She fell in love with Jason. And then kind of the response to her where it was like, well, I'm so worried about um, his wife, you know, because you guys clearly have a relationship and you two are this couple and she's left out. And I think my mom, when she's, she's almost 70 and her understanding of polyamory was definitely more polygamy uh, and more of in the seventies of these guys, when she was probably in her twenties or late teens, these guys with a harem of, you know, 10 women. And that's not what polyamory is about. So I think she also had to get over that. And she thought there was a little sexist component to it. She's like, well, now we have these two men and now the wife's off. I don't know how to explain. I'm like, the wife is doing completely fine. She has a boyfriend. She has a girlfriend. She has a wife. Um, and actually what ended up happening was they got divorced in the end for good reasons. Now she's married to the girlfriend at the time, which is kind of funny. But yeah, at the time she was just kind of worried that, you know, the people would be left out and that it could be complicated. But I remember one of the things she said was like, you know, you can't love you know, two people, you know, the same way in that said, I said, mom, what about your three sons? Oh, no, she goes, so you have to love one of them more. So what about your three sons? Uh, and I brought them, my brothers in the room, like, so which one of us do you love the most? And she's like, okay, back <laughs> point, point made, you fucking asshole. I'm like, well, you know, then don't, then make a better point, mom. <laughs> um, you know, but, but I mean, when we have that type of relationship, we're super close. I talk, I'm such a mama's boy. So we're able to kind of tease each other in that way for sure but now she's completely open to the idea of it and right now I'm just kind of more like casually dating people but I often still say I'm polyamorous even though I don't even have a boyfriend a girlfriend or any partner just because I want people to know that if we do become boyfriends or girlfriends or partners uh, I will always be open to the idea of dating and loving multiple people at once at least for now you know and I want people knowing that going into a relationship uh, with me, although, you know, things change and the, I might just end up being more in an open relationship and who knows, maybe I'll be in a monogamous relationship at some point in my life, at least for an extended period of time. 
that's why I still claim the label, even though right, right now it's like I'm just casually dating people. Yeah. Well, not really anyone right now as coronavirus is. <laughs> How are you doing with that anyways? You, I know New York was hit hard. Um, you're in Brooklyn, so. Yeah, it's, I'm lucky in that, A, I'm still employed, uh, which I, I can, like, I'm so freaking lucky as all my friends are being furloughed or fired or whatever it is. <laughs> B, I am used to working from home. Um, so I remember like the first few days people were working from home. I had friends texting me like every 30 minutes or trying to FaceTime. I was like, dude, I actually still am working. Like, <laughs> like I do have to work. I can call, call you guys tonight. But yeah, no, it sucks. Like, even though I'm used to working from home, my roommate left to go home to North Carolina, I guess, two weeks ago. So I'm here in this apartment by myself and I've been stuck here and it's lonely and it sucks. And even though I'm more used to being at home and I'm still working during the day, you know, I'm definitely going a little stir crazy, but I'm better off than most people, you know, and I am lucky. So I don't like complain. Yeah, that is good. And you're healthy. So, I mean, I'm healthy. I feel, yeah, I've been not going outside. <laughs> I'm here. Um, and then you even had an article about what is that that you have pinned on your Twitter account? Oh, why are we horny? Yeah. <laughs> It's my, I just want to give a shout out to my editor, Jordan Taylor at Men's Health. And if anyone who kind of works in media probably knows who she is, because she's just a fucking genius editor. But we, we've been like brainstorming all these kind of like coronavirus sex pitches, but in a way that like aren't, that don't add too much like levity. I don't want to make it seem like I'm not taking this seriously, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I think we can make, we got to have a little bit of humor. We got to get through this somehow. Yeah, but one yeah. thing that we had kind of, worked on together hold on i, I want to make sure what the actual title was oh the psychological reasons you're horny as hell during quarantine <laughs> and i wrote this 323 so what is that 10 days ago um so more towards the beginning because i think we're about week two we're like 15 days in i don't know it depends who you ask but i spoke with a social psychologist and he's a i think research fellow at the kinsey institute justin lamiller and just being like what like I'm like horny as fuck. And I don't think it's just that like I'm bored. Although I jerked off four times today. Can I say and, that? I, like, oh yeah. And you, you tweet about it every time too. So I, it's cool. I let the people know. And at some point my editor is going to be like, Zach, you're, you're brazenly talking about masturbating while you're supposed to be working. Uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for that, for that message on Slack where I'll be like, I do not know how to respond. I have incriminated myself. But yeah, I'm like, it's not just like, what's going on? And I spoke to him and he's like, yeah, there definitely is an element of boredom, but there's also a way where he brought up the study. Well, let me look at it. That was just like the thought of death kind of, or like existential dread and death can sometimes get people horny. Well, see, psychologists have actually found that the fear of death can prompt more sexual desire and behavior as a coping mechanism. For example, some studies have found that when people are forced to think about the prospect of their own mortality, they express more interest in casual sex. We also know that sex is an activity that makes us feel more alive, so it shouldn't be surprising that a pandemic that confines people to their homes will promote more interest in activities that give them this feeling of power. There's also like this idea that this is this is like the end, um, you know, or at least there was like, oh, this is the end, so. A, a more like a YOLO mentality of just like people <laughs> messaging their exes and like everyone who you'd kind of want to sleep with or like had a crush on, but never told them people are messaging them. 
but there was just so many funny things. Oh, we also spoke about excitation transfer, which is kind of this idea that but when we like we sometimes have struggle like struggle like labeling what our physical labeling the emotions associated with our like physiological responses. So like if you're afraid, let's say you're you know, your heart starts racing, you start sweating, um, something like that, that's also gonna be the same exact things that happens when you're aroused. Uh, so that could be a thing. I don't know. I, like, I, I definitely just read the article. I'm doing a terrible job summarizing this also because I wasn't like the psychologist that like was giving these quotes, you know, but um, it, it was just so funny. And I'm like, okay, at least I'm not going crazy. Although I definitely need to start using more fleshlights and stuff like that because my poor hands are going to fall off. <laughs> Hopefully you have enough lube. Oh my god, yes. That's one thing for being a sex writer is they do send me tons and tons of lube. Perfect, then you're all set. Yeah. Let's talk about you had another article about finding a doctor who I think at first you talked about him being LGBTQ, but then you just initially then you finally said that they just need to be accepting and and understanding what the community's like. Oh, yes. Sorry. So I initially wrote a piece about how I think it's necessary for me to have an LGBTQ friendly doctor because I just had so many, so many negative doctor experiences where I, when I moved to New York, I had trouble getting insurance and being a freelancer, I was paying like $500 a month, which I could barely afford for some of the worst insurance out there that covered nothing. And I didn't know any doctors and I finally got to see a doctor. I need to get on prep. And when I, he did not even know what uh, Truvada was. And this was 2017 and i honestly think on the way on the bus there there were literally signs like there i think that was the exact time like the prep campaign around the city was happening and you could see like prep on billboards uh and he had no idea what it was when i explained what it was he looked it up he said why do you need that i said you know i'm bisexual and i sleep with men i just want to have an extra layer of safety well was well if you're bisexual you could just sleep with women so i'm not going to prescribe this to you <laughs> i was like what the fuck and I cried on the way home uh, because I had spent so much time trying to find a doctor. I was paying so much to have a doctor. It was such a stressful experience. And the guy did other fucking shit, too. That was terrible. So after that, I, like, you know, went to my computer. I was like, fuck this. I need a gay doctor. And the answer is no, I don't need a gay or bi or queer doctor. But I do need someone who knows these issues. And oftentimes, it's a lot easier. So when you have a queer doctor, you know, they might be more understanding of, you know, you're on prep and your decision to not wear condoms isn't just a matter of like, oh, fuck, it feels good. It kind of plays into your role as a queer person, as not that, you know, as part of your identity. You know, I grew up with this huge fear that I would get HIV. It was something that destroyed my sex life. And now I no longer have that fear. And I want to have the same, I want to have this enjoyable sex. I want to be able to relate to my partner. And, you know, barebacking for me is not just a matter of, oh, it feels better. But, you know, when I explain this to a straight doctor, they won't necessarily understand it versus a queer doctor will. And straight doctors uh, still judge the living shit out of me for, my, for getting an STI. Like, well, you should be wearing condoms every single fucking time. I'm like, no, nah, dude, I'm not. Uh, and you need to meet me where I am and you need to respect my decision. Um, and a queer doctor is more likely to do that. Although still, now I have a gay doctor now and he still playfully yells at me uh, for not being <laughs> a condom use, but at least he, he, he knows the, the deal, you know, and he, and he is a doctor. His job is to tell me to wear a condom. So I, I can't be mad at him for doing his job, but I don't want to be shamed. I don't want to be judged. Right. It's a campaign that you've already said is, is pretty much coming to an end, but I love the thing about the, we need a button. Yeah. So kind of with 
coronavirus and everything happening, just a lot of things that, yeah, obviously kind of stopped happening. But uh, yeah, I was working on this campaign with the site uh, Dating Positives and Waxo, uh, which I think now just kind of got subsumed by dating.com. But Dating Positives was specifically a site for people with positive diagnoses, specifically HIV. Pretty much the idea behind the campaign was pretty simple. Um, I was kind of twofold. The first is to advocate for better care for LGBTQ people. The second point and the more actual point was just we were encouraging apps like patient matching sites like ZocDoc or even like Yelp. In essence, just to create a filter to let you know that your doctor is LGBTQ friendly. And that doesn't just mean like, oh, like I'm okay with gay people. I'm okay with bi people. It means they're actually specifically knowledgeable about the specific needs of queer people. They know how to engage with non-binary people. They know about PrEP. They know how to give anal pap smears. Uh, I don't think I've been to a single straight doctor who's recommended uh, that I get an anal pap smear when I come in, which is so important as a queer man who does bottom because, uh, you know, gay and bi men are 17 times more likely to get anal cancer, which is different than colorectal cancer, 17 times more likely than um, straight men. And that's just because it's kind of like, it's our version of almost like HPV. It's like our HPV and our butts kind of thing. But yeah, you know, I need a doctor that knows how to do that and knows how to do hormone replacement therapy. And so all you're asking for is just a filter uh, to let you know that your doctor is knowledgeable uh, to the needs of LGBTQ people. Because I really think you know, in New York, it was tough for me to find a doctor. And luckily, I was able to, have, I had friends who finally recommended them. But if you live in, you know, bumblefuck nowhere, and you have no queer friends, it's not necessarily a queer affirming city the way New York is, it can be really, you might not have the information, you might not feel comfortable coming out to your doctor. Uh, and it's really important specifically that those people are getting the proper health care. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's a great idea. We need to be able to find doctors that understand us it's and it's shockingly hard it's like even in new york the issues i've had uh and, and what i realized is it's a relatively universal and ubiquitous experience for queer people uh not all queer people but really the vast majority have had some terrible experience uh in some form of healthcare setting and sometimes it's more uh subtle and sometimes it's more just like outright discrimination where like I've heard of nurses just refusing to correctly gender, use the correct gender pronouns of a trans or non-binary person. Another important article I think you wrote was for HIV Plus magazine. Yeah. I think it's about a little over a year ago um, and talking about sex with men who are positive with with Truvada, PrEP, um, and then the antiviral medication that positive men can get on where they're undetectable. We still have that stigma. Go back into my life and, you know, 12 or 13, I had sex with my first guy. And this was in the 80s. The AIDS epidemic was obviously going on. I had no clue what it was. I didn't know if I can catch it, even though the guy didn't have it himself. But to go from that and then like Magic Johnson, when he came out as HIV, thinking that he was going to die in a few years because of what HIV positive meant. And then now to be where we're at, where you can be undetectable, sex with a positive man isn't a killer. Um, what was the thing that made you want to write that article? Just yeah, I just helping to fight against the stigma. I, I think is one thing. 
uh, for, you know, I, I, even though I'm not HIV positive, but for all, everyone who is HIV positive, but also just so that all queer men could enjoy sex and I think kind of relax a little bit. Uh, I think so much of us, uh, especially uh, of the older generation, um, you and the people older than you too, for sure, you know, lived their lives, I feel like, in fear of contracting this deadly virus. And it really influenced their sex life and their how they enjoyed it, who they dated, and how they approached, you know, love and friendship and sex. And it's terrible. It's terrible that queer men had to be cautious of this and had to do this. And now we obviously still have to be cautious, but I just kind of want to make it seem, you know, if you get HIV, it's not the end of the world. Uh, you will live. People with HIV live healthy and long and quote unquote normal lives. And I want, you know, all queer men to no longer live in fear, uh, fear of loving, fear of having sex, fear of having relationships. And then also actually getting the correct information out. Let's not stigmatize people who do have HIV because that's fucking terrible and you're an asshole if you do that. You obviously write a lot. What do you do in your downtime? Oh my God. When you can leave the house. (laughs) That? What's downtime? What do I do? Well, so water polo. Yeah. Uh, uh, I do work out a bunch. Uh, That kind of keeps me healthy and sane, kind of keeps the anxiety at bay. So that I like to do. I always struggle with this. It's like, I work out, I read, I watch movies, I get drunk, I go out dancing. I go to a lot of sex parties. That's probably what I'm doing most weekends. I have a lot of fun going to those. I don't know if that's like a hobby. I feel like, do I tell my mom like, oh, that's my hobby, you know? Um, Yeah, nothing necessarily too exciting. I just see friends and I drink and really take advantage of living in New York because there's always like so many cool events happening every day of the week, in theory, obviously not now. You must go to a lot of sex parties if you said there's nothing too exciting. I, that, <laughs> yeah, I should choose my words better, uh, especially as a writer. Yes, I go to a lot of sex parties. Uh, for, I, I love it. I mean, I love it not just for the sex itself, but really I've met my best friends uh, in these communities. And also a lot of these sex spaces are really by affirming. So the sex club that I'm a part of, more heavily a part of, and friends with a lot of them and have dated a lot of the people is New Society for Wellness, NSFW, is what it's called. And the man who runs it is Daniel Saint. He's bi. He has partners who are male and female. And when I go to these spaces, it's it's like pretty much all the women are queer, are bi and pan. A lot of the men are bi and pan. And oftentimes I feel like my life is sometimes like, oh, I have my gay life when I go out with my gay friends to gay clubs. And then I have my straight life when I see some of my friends from college and the two don't interact. And but being in a bi space, but being in the sex space, but also happens to be a bi space, I just feel very affirmed. And I like the fact that it's kind of everything happening in one. Let me I want to let you go. So let me ask you the question I ask everyone. And obviously you're your family life was different, so it it probably wasn't too bad. But if you go back in time to when you're 12 or 13, and what's that one thing you could tell yourself to make it okay for you to be bisexual? Uh, just outside of saying that bisexuality is real in men. I mean, that would be the thing I would just tell them. Like, that just this exists and it's real. Because I just did not know. And especially when I was, and I'm sure it's the same for you, when I started Googling stuff when I was confused and, you know, when I was 18, if you type in bisexual man, what would come up were just stories about HIV. 
gay slash bi men spreading HIV. Now you type in bisexual man, we talk about bi erasure, visibility, fetishization, oh my god, all these stereotypes about bi men, how it's tough dating as a bi man. None of that shit fucking existed. Uh, and that's why I became the bi guy, why I became this bisexual writer. And if you type in probably bi man or bi guy, I'm sure I'm at least three of the articles on the first page of Google. You know what I mean? Like, I really wanted to be, not to sound so corny, but like, be the change you want to see in the world. I fucking hate when people say that, but I kind of was because I, I was so confused and so did not think bisexuality was real. And I hated, you know, I had the self-loathing and confusion and engaged in some really dangerous and reckless and shitty behavior that no one should have to go through. So I still haven't answered your question. What would I tell myself? I would first say bisexuality is real. Second, it's it's the most obnoxious advice ever, but you're in no rush. I always struggled with being so confused and wanting to figure out exactly who I was at that point in time. And the thing is, who you are changes over time, and there's no real set destination. Oh, God, am I just going to give myself the advice of enjoy the journey? Oh, God, kill me now. Um, <laughs> but I would say no so i'm gonna reframe it i'm gonna go back to what i said there is no rush in figuring out who you are um it'll all come with time cool where can people follow you and find you on social sure. media the best way is follow me on twitter instagram and it's zachary zane underscore underscore at the end so z-a-c-h-a-r-y-z-a-n-e underscore and on instagram it's a good combination of just thirst traps and articles i share on Twitter, it's more winty banter and articles I share and some more news. But it depends yeah. if you're looking for articles or looking for news. But yeah, it's all there. Follow both. You will not be disappointed. I think it's fun. I think, I think it's a good balance. Um, you are a beautiful person inside and out. And I, I thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I am definitely a fan. Thank you, Zachary, for spending some time with me last week. It was a fun conversation I had. Um, I wish you all the best. I hope you guys all enjoyed listening. It was fun. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter. Follow me, LPFPod, on Twitter and Instagram. But that's it. I hope you all have a great week. Stay healthy, and I will see you next week.